y'all. Welcome back to Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, your host. Today is a little bit different. Today is a chat that actually won't has not appeared on Facebook yet, but will appear on Facebook. But I decided I wanted to, it to appear on a podcast first, only because one of my very best friends, she has actually been on Chats from the Blog Cabin, is moving to... Um, from North Carolina to another state, and she's taking a long trip. And she said at dinner the other night that she is going to be moving, and she was gonna was looking for something to do. And she's like, "Oh, good, I'll listen to your podcast." And I was telling her about this one particular person I had interviewed, which is actually this this interview. And she was like, "Oh, I can't wait to listen to it." I'm like, "Oh, well, it won't be on the podcast yet," but because of her. I decided to go ahead and put it up on the podcast before I streamed it on Facebook and YouTube. So, Courtney, this particular podcast episode is I decided to put it up for you. This uh, um gonna miss you girl, but this um particular episode is about an artist named Anya. If you listen to the podcast episode with Steve Gaines, the one that wrote his very first book at the age of 54, it's that podcast episode 86. Um, Anya is actually the artist that did illustrate his book cover. And she has a really amazing story. And I really think you guys will get a lot out of her story. We had a really amazing chat. She is a very amazing person. Um, her story is such a great story. And I did a very special Friday episode. Um, and like I said, I wasn't planning on putting it up here so early. But things you do, you, sometimes you just have to do the extra mile for friends. So I hope you really enjoy Anya's story. Do you know what I need you to do? That's right. I need you to start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Cats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I'm joined by Anya. She is an artist, and you may remember that she was actually talked about in one of the previous broadcasts with author Steve Gaines. Gans, excuse me. Um, she wrote, she did his cover for his new book. So, Anya, tell us a little about yourself before we go into what you do. Sure. So, I am a full-time artist. Um, as well as a full-time graphic and web designer. So kind of have these two different facets of my world. I call myself kind of a creative entrepreneur. So there's lots of different things that I do. Um, I love animals. I love to inspire people. So I do teaching and lectures and workshops and YouTubes and TikToks. And I have my hands in a lot of things. So that's just kind of like the short version, but that's what I do. Wow. It seems like you have your hands in just about everything. I mean, the TikTok alone, that could be a full-time job. It really can. Yeah, it really can for sure. So let's talk about, did you always want to be an artist or was that something that you just kind of fell into? It's something I fell into. So I didn't really want to be an artist. I had always been creative as a young person. So I was always drawing or singing or hanging out in the woods and making forts. I was always doing something. But I grew up in a, a home environment that was really um, supportive of like going to school, going and getting a degree, going and being a normal person out in the work world, quote unquote. And I really didn't have an understanding that there were jobs in the creative world. I had no idea, you know, because when you're young and you come from like a blue collar home, 
you don't really think about like, oh, well, people get paid to like be actors on TV or they get paid to, you know, do X, Y, or Z. And so I went into the work world. I went out and tried to be uh, a therapist. That was my first goal. I still have a background in psychology and implement that a lot in uh, marketing and design and everything else. Um, but I got sick. And when I got sick, I was kind of pushed back into art as a form of um, survival. And then because I'm just a driven individual, I was like, well, if that's the boat I'm going to drive, then I'm going to do something with it. And that's how I ended up getting into art and design. Wow. So basically, how far along were you in your degree for psychology? Did you already maintain one? Did you already get one? I was... I was at the end of my associates thinking about going into bachelor's when things had shifted. And so basically sometimes art can play uh, a part in therapy as well. Have you ever thought about that? I have actually. And art therapy was something that I thought a lot about, but my illness really took me down. It took me down for 18 years. Oh, wow. I wasn't really at a place to continue school or to even really function in the world. I was bedridden on a feeding tube at one point. So for me, my future really wasn't in focus. It was really like, I can do this art thing. I can get exhibitions. I can submit to here. I can do what I can as well as empower people because a lot of my art was therapeutic for me, right? Like instead of doing it for other people, I was really in that process because all of my work was a lot darker and a lot more about processing uh, childhood traumas and other things, which I do believe play a large part um, in health challenges because mm-hmm. if you look at ACEs scores, which a lot of people maybe who are listening to this have never heard of them. And I would love to introduce people to it. It's the scores in which children go through traumas and now they're giving these scores out and your ACEs score will determine how your health and how you function in life. And the higher your ACEs, the higher your traumas, the more difficult health, mental, you know, all of those things are. So for me, it was really just, I had a lot of ACEs and I was doing it as therapy. And when things started to shift, which was only really recently, um, I have thought about it going back and forth. And I am too much of an empath. I need to keep a distance when I'm inspiring people or helping people because I get wrapped up in people's stories really quickly. Like I, you tell me something and I will want to like not go to sleep because I'm like, how do I fix it? How do I fix it? Is Mm -hmm. it okay? So it was a great, I think it would have been a great career, but I also truly believe that if the illness did not block me from it, I may have got into it and then had to retract from it because I don't think it would have been beneficial for me. I need to keep a bit of a distance from, from that. Need a buffer. <laughs> so would you mind talking a little bit more about your illness? Cause I think that's a huge impact. And for 18 years on look at you now, I mean, you're inspiring everybody. So. Oh yeah. I don't mind. Um, for, Oh, almost 17. I had nothing I could tell you about it except for give you symptoms. I really couldn't tell you what it was because it was undiagnosable. Um, For the majority of that time, doctors told me it was all in my head. And I'm like, I got a psychology degree. I know it's not a bachelor's, but I've been studying and I've read every book in the world, it seems, about that. I'm like, it's not that. And I'm fairly articulate, so I would go to doctors and I would have things written out and I'd be like, listen, I know myself, you know, and I'd even had therapists write letters that say, she's a really self-adjusted human being, like there seems to be something wrong. And even so, hundreds of doctors, you know, and I went to different, because I had a lot of different physical issues. So my health, it, it all shows up in my heart, it shows up in my brain, it shows up on my skin, it shows up in my lungs, it shows up everywhere. So the disorder that I have is called a mast cell, like mast of a boat, mm-hmm. cell disease. And what that is, is if you get bit by a bee, this is just a very general example, you will get a bump and it's because your body's mast cells have released the released the histamines to protect you. Mm-hmm. And what a mast cell disease is, is those histamines and other mediators that come from mast cell disease get thrown out randomly. So 
I am allergic to most foods. I'm allergic to almost all mediums. Um, so I had to be digital for 15 years of my career, which is something I can tell you about because I've mm -hmm. only got into tra traditional media since May. Oh, wow. So I was really primarily doing digital graphic design, you know, painting digitally and showing in museums and galleries like that, which was hard because I started that 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And digital art now is amazing. And back then it wasn't really supported. So the disease went on for a very long time to the point of needing a feeding tube formula and almost dying numerous times. And I moved to Oregon to get better care. And it was, uh, I think two years in, two years ago, I got my diagnosis, which was huge, you know, cause it was 17 years. And then a year ago or so is when I finally got the right treatment. So, this disease is so severe that I can be allergic to water. I can wow. be allergic to, um, like everybody is wearing a mask now, like that was my world, you know? And when I got treatment, it was very, it was like six months prior to COVID. So my whole world was opening up as the whole world shut down. And it was real, it was really difficult and challenging, but I know how to live like this, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I can do this. I feel bad for other people who haven't. Like, I'm a champ at it. Like, I'm okay to be alone. I'm used to wearing masks. I'm used to watching my environment or being worried about people having things during the winter because I'm compromised. And anything can set me off. I can get too hot. I can get too cold. Exercise can make me have an allergic reaction. Uh, touching anything that my basically the overall is my body thinks anything that it's not familiar with is dangerous. And so I have anaphylactic reactions and I was having two to three times a day, every day until oh. medication. Oh, wow. So how did you navigate during this time with reactions two to three every day? Do you, a lot of EpiPens or? Well, I don't now, now that I got medicated and actually got the treatment, which is really hard for people with this disease to get treatment because we're often allergic to all medicine. <laughs> so it's like we're allergic to the thing that's supposed to help us. Um, but I did get the did get right, the right treatment. I now have one to two a month. So okay. it's very manageable. I have rescue medication. I have EpiPens. I have an Apple Watch so that I can just push the button if I have to have an ambulance. I am very prepared because I live like this. So for me, it's a lot more it's a lot better now. Like, you know, living like that every day was really, really challenging, but living like this now, especially when people are like, there's nothing wrong with you. And you're literally like having an, a medical emergency. So now I feel supported, right? Like I have the things people know what it is. I have a word to speak people that deal with invisible illnesses that still have no word to speak of it is probably one of the most hardest things you can deal with because there's no word, there's nothing. You can say like, this is what's happening, but it's almost like you're a baby. Like there's no word for you. And then people don't know how to help you. So it's a much different place and I'm doing good. You know, I feel really happy, healthy. Things have really grown for me in the art world because of what's happened in the last, you know, year and a half, two years. Yep. So let's talk about your medium because you said that you most mediums you couldn't use. Everything had to be digital. So yeah. let's talk about that. So that's got to be hard if you're an artist and not being able to use a lot of stuff. Yeah, I um, if I would touch anything, any type of paints, colored pencil, I could have a reaction and go to the hospital. So my form of making art was digital. I became a digital painter. And um, back in 2005, 2006, when, you know, in galleries, digital wasn't being shown at all, um, I was pushing the limits and getting into galleries. And it was pretty, it was a pretty big deal for me because I was always going against the odds of like, oh, that's digital. It's like, yeah, it is, but it's still, it's still painting. Well, no, it's not. Because there's so many different ways to market that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that could be a whole other podcasts in general, but how to market digital art, you know, how to, how to collectors see it, how can it be sold? Where does the value? And so it was a challenging thing, but I feel because I was put up against such a big challenge that it really 
made me understand the art world better and has helped me coach people and, you know, help younger people who want to get into art or older people, anybody that want to, wants to get into the art world. Cause I had to do it against the grain. It's kind of like the photographers of the world, you know, and they're big oil paintings, right? The photographers came in and the oil painters were like, you aren't, you know, we spent hundreds of hours. Like you just snapped a thing and now there's museums dedicated to it. And I think we're going to see that with digital art. So what exactly is digital art for those that aren't familiar with them? Sure. It's a great question. So digital art can really be anything. And it's often done, you know, with a computer or some type of device. Now people are doing things with iPads and using things like Procreate. I'm kind of archaic. You know, I use uh, um, Photoshop and people can um, do collages, which I don't do. Um, they can paint in it, you know, use it like a palette and complete paintings over top of, um, over top of, um, you know, different types of layers. And so I could like, you know, paint something here and then I could maybe paint like a person and a cat and then I can kind of move them around. So mm -hmm. like traditional media, you have a lot more options to move and change things around. So it's really just in a digital space. People have tablets, so you can draw right on a tablet and like look at the computer or now in the last, I want to say like maybe eight years now, or maybe a little less. Now they have tablets where you can draw right on the screen. So my hands here and I'm drawing and I'm like drawing on what I'm seeing because it's coming up through the tablet. So you're able to draw on there. And before digital artists had to be able to do this hand eye coordination where they look and they draw on a blank tablet. They just mm -hmm. have to go to the space. So does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> Technology is our friend for sure. Now you said just recently in May, you're able to start using other mediums. How did that feel for you? You know, when you ask me that question, I immediately want to cry. I mean, honestly, it's a real emotional thing for me because anytime I'd pick something up, I'd get really sick and it's, it's difficult to want to touch or do things that I'm already so limited anyway. Like I have to watch people eat food in front of me. I can't eat, you know, I can't touch metal. I really live in a place where I can't, I can't, I can't. And being in a space where I, I use art as a form of therapy for me, not being able to do that, I've learned to deal with it, right? I've just accepted that where I'm at. And then during COVID, I was like, well, maybe since I'm on this medication, I'm not really having reactions. I should push my limits. You know, maybe I should try colored pencil. And I started working in colored pencil and I started having mild reactions, but I thought these are not life threatening. Let's see if I can get my body used to it. Because if anybody knows about allergic reactions, the more you remove yourself away from something, the more you become allergic to it. So they say, mm -hmm. if it's not life threatening, you should, you know, push those limits a little bit so that you don't become like me, <laughs> become a bubble person. Yeah. Like, you know, it gives you that. So I was like, well, I could push these. Let me try to push these limits. And I was able to push the limits enough to having no reactions when I do it, zero. And then um, a month and a half, maybe a month ago, I thought I'm going to try watercolor. Because that's, a, again, a medium that's also, it doesn't have a lot of um, unnecessary things that are dangerous. And so I went ahead with that. And I'm in a month and started a big, huge portrait project with it. And I, the amount of, I can't even tell you the emotional, like, I just want to do it 24 hours a day. And I have other mm -hmm. jobs that I can't, I can't just do it 24 hours mm -hmm. a day. It's compulsive. I'm like, it just feels good to touch it. The tactile ability, of course, I'm not touching the paints and I'm careful, but having a paintbrush in my hand, seeing it on real paper. I mean, digital art is beautiful. It can be printed out, but there's a different experience being able to put things down onto something. And that's, you know, including with writers too. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just art, it's anything. Like we could design a room in the computer, but if you're moving furniture around, it's an experience that's much different. So it's, it's a big deal. I'm still, you know, my boyfriend said to me the other day, he goes, do you know you're a painter now? Like in real world watercolor painter? And I went, oh shoot, I guess I am. <laughs> you're like, wow, yeah. I guess, I guess I am. Interesting. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really big. I'm still processing it. It's, it's heavy in a good way. I'm so thankful. 
Yeah, I can imagine going all those years of not being able to touch anything. And now you are able to touch things and create with your hands instead of, like you said, digital. Yeah. Just imagine. Now, let's talk about you working with Steve. How did that come about? So Steve and I have known each other. Goodness, I want to say I want to say 20 years. So a long time. And um, he used to be a DJ. Mm -hmm. And I used to do music and uh, he used to, I ran, ran a small record label years ago and did music. And uh, he used to play my music on his little radio station that he had. And then we just became dear friends, um, him and his wife and his children. You know, it's just, we've kept that relationship um, going for a long time. I mean, obviously we weren't in big contact until, you know, social media mm -hmm. that really helped. But that's how, how we got involved with each other. And then, of course, you know, he started writing his book and telling me about it. And I was like, well, I can help you out with that. Like, that's not a problem. So that's how, you know, we've been connected a long time. I think we got a soul connection for sure. You said you ran a record label. Let's talk about that. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's something that you don't hear a lot of people do nowadays, you know? Yeah. So years ago, I ran a record label. Um, I made um, gothic slash industrial electronic music. So people that don't know much about it, uh, genre would be similar in a more mainstream would be similar to like a Nine Inch Nails kind of music, mm -hmm. but obviously a little bit more underground. Um, and so I did music and then I wanted to help other people do it. Same with arts. Like I'm always wanting to help people like, well, how can I help you do what I'm doing? And so I opened a record label and that's kind of how I got into graphic design as well is I already had a computer. Somebody gifted it to me. An amazingly wonderful friend gifted me this PC um, that had Photoshop and Dreamweaver, which is a web design thing in it. And I played with it. And then when I started with the record label, I was able to create my own covers. I was creating covers for CDs for other bands that we had under the label. Um, we had a little magazine that ran with it. And so, you know, I'm always doing, I have to do something. Like that's that's kind of like my drive. It's like I need to be creating and it doesn't matter what it is. But I, and even prior to all this, I was always like jumping jobs because I would learn it and then I would be done with it. And like, what else can I learn? And so for me, it's like, I'm really about experiencing things. And uh, that was an experience. It was a lot of fun. And we sold it off when iTunes came in. That's part of the reason we let it go. Because iTunes was very adamant about, like, if you're not Sony or you're not big, we're not going to, like, have other people on there. And that was killing the record industry. Mm. All records for, for small and independent artists. It's different now. But at then we're like, we're going to go under. We should get rid of it. So, and then I started focusing more on my art. <laughs> wow. You definitely have a very, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? You definitely have a very creative career, but also it sounds like if you got bored with the job, you would just say, okay, I'm ready for something new. Yeah, or something. Yeah, if I master something, I want to add something else to it. I think now in my life, it's finally um, coming like full circle where now all the pieces kind of work together. Like, okay, I'm doing this graphic design stuff. I know how to do well photography. I know how to do graphic stuff, logos. You know, I know how to do videography. Well, all of this is implementing in my art world because I'm doing videos on YouTube. I'm doing TikToks. So I have a lot of these that are kind of going back and forth and like publishing. You know, I'm in publishing. I'm a publisher, but I work with publishing houses. So all of these little tiny things work together, but it also is this ability to like, work with people and go like, you need help with this. I probably know a bit about it. You know, so I'm like a Jill of all trades. I don't really feel like a master of anything. I just feel like I know a good amount about a lot. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Well, you just talked about you're a publisher as well. So let's talk about that. And you are a Jill of all trades. <laughs> yeah. So I got into publishing um, back in 2000. Let's see, was it 2004? Um, I went ahead and I created a tarot deck. So I had a, um, a friend of mine that was doing tarot decks, and he asked me if I wanted to be a subject in one of them. And for me, I really didn't have a lot of knowledge about tarot. 
but I always like, I'm really big about like energy. Like I want to make sure that what I'm doing is at a good space, you know, and also not pass judgment on something that I don't know anything about because everything about that is really focused on how the TV is portrayed it and whatever. And, and tarot isn't like that. You know, tarot isn't some like voodoo witchy, like I'm going to predict your life. You know, we're going to curse you. It's like, it's a daily practice that some people have like opening a calendar and reading the quote of the day. It's like pulling out a card, looking at that meaning and act asking, how does it apply to your life? Right. And you do that with clients or you do that for yourself. And so when I got introduced, I was like, mm, yeah, I don't know if that feels right. And then researching it a little further, knowing I had some history in my family with it. I was like, this is pretty cool. So when we were working on the project, I was a subject in it. I wasn't the artist. And that inspired me to want to learn to read tarot. So I was like, well, the best way to learn to read is I'm going to create 78 tarot cards. And so through that process, about halfway through, I looked for a publisher. I secured a publishing deal, had to finish that out. Went ahead and had that published. I think it came out in 2010 or maybe a little earlier. And then following that, I did another, I did an Oracle deck, which was called Inspirations for Survivors. And so that was a deck for people who, and everybody's a survivor. So, I mean, it really applies to everybody. And therapists use it in their office and whatever. And after that, I wanted a little bit more control. So I went ahead and did another project. I didn't really want to work with a publisher on it. So I figured out how do I publish my own books? And I'm not talking through like, Lulu or blurb like legitimately like I'm laying them out in in design I'm creating the covers and then I'm having them you know published at a, at a different kind of level and I learned how to do that so I'm able to do both and I still work with publishers I mean, you know I had something come out not that long ago but I still have a self-published option um, I have a book about birds coming out soon you know so I have I'm just doing too many things. <laughs> Second edition tarot, a book about birds, because I started randomly painting these birds now that I can. And now they have stories. And I don't know. I don't think I can live long enough to get it all out. I really don't. <laughs> so where can you buy your books at, though? Sure. You can find all of the books that I do on my website, or a lot of them are on Amazon. So even if you just search my name on Amazon, books will come up. So there's, you know, the Silver Arrow Tarot deck. There's the Inspiration for Survivor's Oracle. There's the Witch's Oracle, which I did with Marla Brooks. Um, there is um, the Witch's Oracle Second Edition, which was Marla Brooks. And um, I can't think of his name right now. Oh, I can't think right off the cuff. I didn't think I was going to mention this. But he uh, wrote about crystals. Uh, it'll come to me. But it's a second edition, and so there's the Tarot Under Oath. There's a lowbrow tarot project where I curated it with a bunch of artists um, that are in the lowbrow world. So all those things are are up there, including poetry book, and three poetry books with photography, and um, my 13-year art book that came out like a year and a half, two years ago. Wow. So. <laughs> and then you got it can't get it all out. You know, it's what you do when you're home all the time. You know, when you're when you're stuck at home for almost 20 years, you have to do something with that energy, you know. There's probably never a dull moment with you, right? There really is not. I live from a place of I don't know when and if I'm going to die. And I've lived from that place for a very long time. So I think that's where the need and the desire is to just make and just do because it feels correct and right to me. Now, you talked about tarot. How hard was it to learn how to read the tarot cards? Um, so I have a lot of feelings about that. Obviously, I have a lot of feelings about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it takes a long time to really know the cards. I think a lot of people will read them and get the rudimentary understanding of them. But there's a lot more to them. I think each card, you know, when I thought about teaching classes and was helping another lady who did... Uh, who, who taught classes as well as I was kind of like um, an assistant and helped her with, she was older and I helped her with like getting materials together and designing them as like a, kind of like a community support. And even being through her, it was like, it would probably take 
a good month to learn each card. If you really wanted to understand it from the symbolism to the different versions, to who created it, where it came from. I mean, there's such an archaic thing that the amount of knowledge is, it's never ending. You know what I mean? But I think a your month on each one to really spend the time to do it is a good thing. I mean, I have what now, what is it? So 2004, you know, and now we're like 2021. And I still like, I feel like I'm always learning. You never don't, you never stop learning the tarot. Wow. And you said there's different versions too. Like yours is for, one of yours is for survivors. So let's talk about the different versions of them. So there are tarot decks, which are 78 card decks, and they are very similar to normal cards. So like you have, you know, the king, excuse me, the, um, the hearts, the diamonds, uh, the clubs and the spades. And then in tarot, you have the pentacles or coins, you have the cups, which are like the hearts, you have the wands, and then you have the swords. And they match up. But the difference between that and a normal card playing deck is, then they have the 21 cards of the majors. So the other ones are minors. And then the majors are the journey of the fool. And so it's 21 steps of the fool's journey, and then it cycles back again. And so that's how that is. And then oracle cards, which are a little different than tarot cards, can be anything. They could be five cards, they could be 50 cards, but often they're like, you know, 40 something cards and they could be based on anything. But tarot really has its own format. Like there are these suits, there are these majors, they have significance. People do change a little bit when they're designing them because right now they've really come into focus. Like 2004, no one was caring. Now everybody's making tarot decks. Everybody's a tarot reader. And it's really cool. It's kind of like the 60s. There was a, you know, a boost to this spiritual kind of tarot thing. And then it went away for a while. And so now we get all these great decks. And some are Rider Waite Smith inspired. So the basic deck is Rider Waite Smith. That's got the main symbolism. Um, and a lot of people will stick to that and do their own creativity. That's what I did with my deck because I wanted it to be really traditional. And then other people will go to the other side and they'll just do something different. Like instead of hearts or, you know, hearts with normal playing cards or cups, meaning emotions for tarot, somebody might use a different symbol that means emotions or hearts and create their own idea behind it. But most readers understand like, oh, you know, like a feather, for example, may be replaced with a wand. So a wand in tarot is about passion and you know, another person might decide, well, I'm going to use a different symbol throughout the whole deck to symbolize this. So that's kind of the difference. Yeah. And you mentioned crystals. Do you think that has to do with how you, you said your 20 year illness, you know, trying to find holistic ways to heal yourself as well. If modern medicine, Western medicine wasn't helping, I mean, Eastern medicine would backwards, whatever. wasn't helping. <laughs> do you think that you, kind of turned to that a little bit too, because you were trying to find answers to what was going on with you? Absolutely. I mean, I grew up at a home where it was really Christian. And so alternative um, views of life in spirituality were really not something that was even supported or even understood, you know, still kind of like woo woo. I'm not heavy into that kind of stuff, but I'm enough where I feel like it's important for people in life to have some sense of spiritual connection. It doesn't matter if it's God or Buddha or Allah or, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, right? And so for me, I feel like kind of disconnecting from traditional religion and then kind of moving towards something else has really helped me guide myself. Journaling every day, pulling cards every day. Um, taking time to meditate. I do yoga. You know, I really just try to remember that we have to self care. And I've looked at that a lot, but I have, I'm, I have to be honest. I've always had a rough time with that. I like to do, I don't like to sit, you know, I like to, mm -hmm. I don't like to self care. Self caring takes time and focus. And if your body's already like hating you, right? It's already like, we hate everything. You ever, it's really hard to turn here and be here. 
because mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. So I think that's part of the reason why I like to push out more. And so for me, I'm really working at that. And now that I'm medicated and calmed down a bit, because <laughs> when you're in an allergic reaction all the time, you're kind of high strung. And I'm generally high strung anyway. I talk fast. I'm kind of loud. I just generally have high energy. And so then throwing that on top of it just like maximizes it. So for me to like bring it down a notch, my partner's very quiet. He's like inside voice. (laughs) I'm like, okay, sorry, I'm yelling. I just have a lot to say. So the spirituality part of it, I think, is helping me balance and really helped me hold on through those times. Because if I didn't have those quiet moments or I didn't, have the ability to kind of reach to something that felt like hope, then I, I don't know really how long I could have lasted. Art in that really kept me here. I really, I barely made it. I really, from just medical standpoint, and also from as much as I could take, you know, it, it became a little too much. So those were anchors. And now I don't want to look to them very often because I feel I'm pretty good. <laughs> But that's the time we're supposed to look to them, right? Like they talk about that in psychology and health. When you're sick and you look to medicine or you look to spirituality, it's great. We should do that anyway. But then when we don't feel bad and we're doing well, we avoid, not avoid them, but we're less likely to pay attention. Oh, we'll eat the Doritos and we'll go on our walk. You know, it's often we're kind of forced to do those things and actually the way that we support health is by doing those things when we're in a good space because it keeps us out of those bad spaces yep that is so true now you talked about journaling and meditating you even though you say you don't like to sit still how do you get your mind clear enough because I, as you said your mind is bouncing mine does too mine pings off. i cannot meditate to save my life because i cannot sit still long enough to do it or my mind clear my mind so how what are some tips that you can do <laughs> oh let me tell you i feel very much the same thing i mean i'll just like sit on the couch like okay what do i gotta do all right what can i do oh i could do this and it's like one of the things that i've learned to do to help me kind of stay and give myself a moment is being really focused on my body like sitting there and not thinking about what I have to do or the emails I got to respond to or the podcast I'm going to be on. How does my hair look? It's like I take a moment and I focus on just body parts. Okay, there's my feet. Okay, they're touching the ground because I'm not in my body very often. Um, one of my mentors would say that. She's like, you're, you're, you're ethereal. You're not even here. You're always over here. So it's like <laughs> grounded, you know, like grounding. And it's really that grounding thing. They did have this... Um, I would love to suggest this. They had this, um, thing on, see, I don't watch TV and I also don't watch Netflix and stuff, but somebody passed this on to me and I couldn't even think of Netflix, but it's something about grounding and there was a a documentary about grounding and I don't remember what it was, but it really helped me. And it's really just like, I feel my feet, I feel my hands, I feel my heartbeat you know, and I just start to take some really deep breaths and try to just go like, this is good for me. Like my body needs this. You know, my brain doesn't think it does. And every time my brain starts to do the thing, I just go, give it a minute, just a minute. Because if you do this, right, I find for me, if I give myself a few moments like this, that I'm actually able to work harder, faster, and better than if I'm just overwrought. And so that's what I do. I really just kind of tune into my physical form. And I love, I have a couple meditation um, music. I don't like to listen to people really say much. I can't follow. So I just like to have a nice sound. So there's a couple, um, I wish I could think of it. Uh, Was it Rainbow Station? I know it sounds really silly. Oh, I can't think of it. But good ones on YouTube that are just really calming and they, they do that. And I've also set it up where I go to sleep to it so that during the day when I play that, my body recognizes the pattern. Like this is a calming thing. And I'm, I'm able to do that because I'm very patterny, pattern oriented. Like my, my body is so sensitive to like everything. Like it knows what's going on that when I hear the music, I can feel my body go, Ooh, it's time to rest. So that's what I do. And I don't know if that's helpful, but it's hard. 
I mean, even when I lay on the couch, my partner's like, are you sick? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Because I laid around so much, you know, when I was sick, there was a lot of downtime. So I feel like I'm like, gotta catch up, you know, but that's just burns me out. I crash and burn a lot. And it's something I'm working on not doing like overdoing. And then I feel like I, I crash and I have to learn to temper myself. I'm only saying this out loud here so I can be accountable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to be hard too, because you've got to look at what you're fueling your body with as well. You know, because you said you're allergic to almost everything water. I mean, which is everybody says water is the end all be all. But if you're allergic to that, how do you survive? What do you survive on? That's a good question. So I can drink water now, but I have to do it in limited, limited amounts. So if I was to like take this water and gulp it down, I would get sick immediately. So I have to just temper it. And then the food that I eat, it's only 10 foods. That's it. And my vitamins are fair. I like can't take vitamins. So I'm very lucky that it seems that my, with the food I eat, which is very rich in nutrition, and I do take an iron and a D supplement, I was able to find something because I almost needed a blood transfusion because my mm -hmm. iron was so low. And I couldn't take any iron without going to the ER. So they thought, you know, but I ended up finding something that actually my body assimilated, which was, thank goodness, because no one wanted the other. Mm -hmm. um, so I basically eat, so here's my foods. So I have, you have two choices. I can tell you just the foods or I can tell you the meals that I eat because they're the same. <laughs> well, <laughs> either one is. <laughs> so it's, um, so in the, in the morning I eat pumpkin seeds, which is one brand. So it's a good way to start with protein. And then, um, at lunchtime. So like right before we met, I have one brand of rice I can eat. So I can't, I can't even eat a different brand of rice. Like my body can tell it's so sensitive that it can tell the different brands of rice. Even if somebody was to, it's not psychological, even if somebody was to cook it and I didn't see it because we tried this because <laughs> I'm like, maybe it's just part of it's an association, mm -hmm. right? After time, it's just not my body can tell that even with medications, if I have a month's medication and then I get a new lot of it, my body has a bit of a reaction. So I eat rice, broccoli, and mushrooms is like all together or in little separate piles or mix it and make a little bit of a tiny soup. And then at uh, in the middle of that, I have milk, avocado, and banana, and I mix it as a smoothie. And it's a little hard on my body. So, cause there's a lot of histamines in that, but it's one of the only fats I get cause I can't eat a lot of fat, right? Um, so I have to drink water after it to make sure it goes down or I have allergic reactions. And then at nighttime I eat potatoes, Brussels sprouts, which is pretty much like a different form of broccoli cause they're in the same family and then mushrooms again. And that's pretty much my life. And that's been like that for eight years. Wow. That's I it. Have you branched out and tried different things every once in a while or no? I have at times. So rice was a new thing. Used to be potatoes, both meals. So rice is a kind of a new thing. Um, there's been moments, but at right now with like COVID or other things, the, the risk involved with trying something new can mean a hospital stay and a setback in my disease. And so for me, food becomes a sense of survival rather than it tastes good. Cause when I eat, believe me, it, this is probably a really too much information kind of statement, but I'm sure in your life and everybody else's life, we've thrown something up, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you don't want to ever eat it again because yep. you've thrown it up. Well, that's kind of how it feels eating the same thing in the same order for eight years. You get to a point where you're so disgusted by it that you just have to like plug your nose and eat it. You're just like, I'm not even hungry. I'm just eating. But there's people who have it a lot worse than me. You know what I mean? There's people that have my disease that can't even hug their family because they're allergic to their family's like body stuff, you know, like like they would even have to like wipe, like take all their clothes off, like shower. There's people who live in airtight rooms with this disease where they have to have air filtered in. So as much as mine is extreme. I am the fact that I can paint the fact that, you know, I can live a fairly normal existence. 
you know, even if it's challenging, I'm very lucky. And I know that I'm very, very lucky and try not to push my limits too much. Even though, believe me, I have dreams of eating. I literally will like, um, that chocolate's really good. You know, and I dream of food, which is kind of fun. So you said you had to eat those meals in the exact same order every day. You can't switch it up and have, wow. Yeah, my body is so sensitive to detecting any shifts like that. To me, to my to my form, it is something that really just, you know, it, it recognizes that it's different. I mean, even like a banana, if I was to put it in the refrigerator or freezer and like make it cold or smash it up, my body would not assimilate it. It it has it needs to recognize what's happening. And so and I'm getting a form of therapy for it that I love to encourage anybody else who's dealing with any sort of trauma, right? Like, because this is a form of trauma, really, when you're dealing with this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think it stems from childhood things as well. But I have been working with somebody doing EMDR. And instead of talk therapy, which I'm well beyond, I'm in, in therapy on my own since I was 14. You know, I don't need talk therapy. I'm good. Um, there's a lot of people that... Um, things just show up in their body. I mean, if you look at cancers, you look at so many different health issues, it's often a result of, sure, there's poor genetics, but what's triggering that for you? If you look at so many people who have had like, oh, all of a sudden now I have rheumatoid arthritis or I have this or that, you can often find some type of challenging event that was extreme to set off the body. And EMDR is... Um, it is a bilateral stimulation based thing that really helps you not think about it, but process the emotions through your physical form. It's like a somatic thing. And I was very nervous about trying it a couple of years ago because I tried everything. And that seems out of control to me. Like I was like, oh, is that like hypnosis? No, or like it just seemed kind of scary. Um, but it's not. I've actually had really great. Um, results with it. Things that have made me really reactive, like for instance, cars. I have a really hard time being in vehicles because I'm allergic to vibration. So long, long term vibration in a car or somebody driving past my house in base just can liberate my cells like this. And um, I was terrified to drive for a very long time. And when we did a lot of EMDR around it, it's like the coolest thing about EMDR is when you do it, when you think about something that has caused you great stress or you think about something and you can feel it at all in your body, like at all, like, you know, something happened. You're like, ooh, that doesn't feel very good. After you do EMR completely for that situation, when you think about it, you can't even access it. And not that you can't think about like the words of it, like this happened. Let's say you were in a car accident. When you go in, you you feel it. Like you think about it. Like, you know, let's say you got into a pretty bad car accident. You hurt yourself pretty bad. Like you think about it. You probably have even a very small visceral reaction. Your body probably tenses up a little. You probably feel a little uncomfortable. But once you go through the process of EMDR, it could be numerous times. It could be you will literally think about the thing and you could think about it like a thing but you don't feel like you can touch it. Like it's almost around the corner. You can't access it. And it's been really helpful with this disease and childhood stuff to, to do that. And I, I think it's something that people should experience. However, I want to be very clear. You need a very good practitioner that's been doing it a long time, that's been certified in it, that you feel 100% comfortable with. Because if you don't, it, you, you, want, you want to be comfortable and feel safe and know the person has like deep education. And the guy I work with goes and gets extended education on this regularly. So I have a lot of trust. So what exactly is it though? You were talking about how it helps you work through situations. Is it like taking you back and making you go through it all over again? Or No, that's the, that's the whole reason why EMDR seems to work is because with a lot of traditional therapy, you are brought to the place, right? You will have to experience it again. And like the brain, which you probably know this and maybe other people do, but we'll put this out there. Your brain does not know the difference between a thought and your reality, has no clue. Like if I close my eyes and I think about a car wreck that I was in, 
my my brain thinks it's experiencing it again. It doesn't understand the difference. And EMDR does not make you reprocess. EMDR, you select the memory. Okay, it's the car wreck. You put it in a box and you don't think about it. Then you put on something, and, and EMDR is done different by different practitioners. So if somebody's out there and they're getting a different version, it's understood, but this is what I know. And um, so they would have you choose something that you really like. Music, your pets, something that makes you feel good. And then what you do is you bring that feeling up while it's like your body knows it's over here, the other thing. You bring up the good feeling and then you do bilateral stimulation. So for me, I'm looking back and forth and I'm blinking and I'm blinking. Or there's other ways where people will do a padding. There's things with bilat. It's a bilateral stimulation that helps your body work through it. And other people have little things where you they will do little vibrations in their hand. Obviously, that's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. But the idea of bilateral stimulation without thinking about the situation, bringing up a really good memory. But it's super fascinating because even if I've selected it and put it over here, I still watch my body have emotions. Like when we start doing it, I start to yawn. Before we even start, I start yawning because I'm already starting the process. My body is already ready and you feel, I'll feel my body just start to like, okay. Or I'll have emotions come up. Like, oh, that makes me really angry or that makes me whatever. But I'm not thinking about the thing. It's, it's a really interesting way to go around the brain so the brain doesn't get in the way. Because when we're thinking and we're processing, we're in hyperactive mode, right? We're going to be in this like defense mode. And this is like an around about way. So people should really look it up and see if it's something that works for them. But it's it's changed my life for sure. Is it sort of something similar to EFT tapping? I would say that they can live in the same place. I think EMDR is more um, science-based and there's a lot more research being done on it. However, I have engaged in EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is, you know, tapping on the, believe me, I've done everything. <laughs> you know, I've tried everything, uh, you know, because that's what you do when you're sick. Like, I don't care. You know, give me, you know, whatever. So um, EFT is really great, too. So people have never done that. I have had good experience with EFT. Like we lived in a place where we had tornadoes and it, it was just awful. And so I EFT I all the time. <laughs> Self-administering EFT, you know? So there's similars to it, but with EFT, you can really self-administer yourself and be in control. And with EMDR, you can as well, but it's really better to be with a physician, with somebody, you know, medically, because they can help you if you get into a bad space. With EFT, you're probably not going to get into a bad space because it's almost like a, not a Band-Aid, but you're dealing with something in the moment. Like, I'm nervous, you know, but with this stuff, it is kind of digging in and it kind of a, a different way. So if you do get into some sense of um, a dangerous place, there are a medical person there who can make sure that you are safe. And they also have techniques to ground you. Um, they use these techniques for war in war driven countries and things like that. Um, EMDR to help deal with like trauma, immediate trauma. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's, it's a very, very interesting, um, tool to add to a box maybe not the only thing to add if you have things to work through but it's definitely i think a tool to use yeah you were talking earlier about vibrations in the car you can't ride in a car because of vibrations so that got me thinking okay because you're so allergic to everything where do you get your clothes your your furniture the things in your home how are you able to basically i want to for lack of better words live you know and function so I can be in cars in limited amount of times. So if it's about 10 minutes, I can usually manage it as long as I didn't eat before. Because if I ate before, when you eat, body your body administers things to like work on that. And then it, it brings me to a weak space. So I try not to eat or like doing this interview. I really normally wouldn't eat before it because I'm nervous, right? Like I'm a little nervous, which can send my histamines out, which is totally normal. But because I'm Medicaid, I was like, I'm hungry, though. So I'll do that. So I just have to watch things. So I do go into stores. I mean, obviously, currently now I go to nowhere because that's just safe for me. I stay here and people help me do the things I need to do, which is not much because most everything I need is here. Hello. Um, 
but like to go out and buy books or, you know, I was always a goodwill person. So I'd walk into goodwill and I'd wear a mask and I was pretty okay. I could deal with touching and doing things, but I just had to be careful. Like if they sprayed anything or if a person had perfume, I'd have to go to the other place and I'd have to limit my exposure. Like I could be in there for 10 minutes, you know, that's 10, 15 minutes, whatever. And then I would leave. I don't do grocery shopping because that's super dangerous because all just food. My partner is my grocery shopping amazing man. And then I love Amazon. And, and, you know, I know that people say support small businesses and I do when I can. But, you know, for certain supplies right now, you know, for what I'm doing, like the portrait project or whatever, you know, I do frequent Amazon or other stores online. I miss going out being in the real world, even if it was very limited, you know, but I could still do do some things, which is good. I don't have to be in the house all the time. I'm not like John Travolta. And if anybody understands that, they're probably old. <laughs> you know, I was thinking that when you first started talking about it, the boy in the bubble, I mean, that's yeah. the bubble boy. That's kind of kept thinking about that. Yeah. Was that similar to what he had then? I'm not sure if he had, I think he has something else. I know people brought it up and I haven't actually researched it. There's similarities for sure. Um, but I'm not sure if he has the same exact issue. But at least I have a little bit more options. Like prior to COVID, I could hug people. You know, I you know I I have a lot more. It's still limiting. You know, still very limiting. You know, but I still have a lot more freedom than I think a lot of people do. You know, I've sent videos to friends of mine where there's younger people than me online that have because there's it's a it's a comorbid disease. So there's three that go together. And the one I'm talking about is just one of the three. I have two of the three. A lot of people have three of the three. So I have something with my heart that goes along with it. And there's pe much people younger than me that are suffering way more than me. You know, it, there's a connective tissue disease that is comorbid often with my disease as well as the heart thing where the um, tendons in your body start to uh, overstretch. If you see people who are very flexible, I mean, that can be a good thing, but then there's people who actually have um, EDS and over time their connective tissue will just start tearing and they have to wear braces on their neck and braces on their hands. So, you know, I'm, I don't live extreme in that world. I do have some connectivity stuff, but nothing where I'm going to probably need a brace. You know, I have just like, I have a good friend who has mast cell stuff but not as bad as me, but her EDS is a lot worse than mine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a challenging, challenging world, but there's people who are dying out there right this very moment. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm healthy enough to talk. I try to just take every moment as like being very thankful. Hard every once in a while not to be like whiny about chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like chocolate, a little bit of wine, would like to do that, but I mean, What's it for? I don't really want to go to the ER. <laughs> so basically, you've been able to live out your life through your art then. Yeah. Express yourself. Whereas you couldn't, you had the limitations. So you were able to take your art and express it that way. Do you think that's why you're so creative though? Um, I think I've always been very creative. Like I look back and I was making books when I was a kid. Like I found one recently and I like, had taken like printer paper and I made this story and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I guess I've always been that way. You know, mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, songs I wrote, but I do believe, you know, with the creativity, it's just, it's just something that I, I need to have to kind of express what I need to express. If that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I don't know how else to, deal with a lot of what I've dealt with. And if there was no internet, I'm not sure where I would be because my world was the internet. You know what I mean? Like prior to, you know, uh, people are always complaining about Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. Um, TikTok and all these social media things, but I have a different spin on it. I mean, I do think they take over our life. I do think that the algorithms are annoying, you know, from a marketing perspective. I mean, I understand all the complaints, but if I didn't have social media, I wouldn't have been in the, the galleries I was in. I wouldn't be in the publications I was in. I wouldn't have made the friends that I've made. 
had the support groups that I've had. I mean, it was my window out into the world. And a lot of people who live normal lives don't really understand that. And I think now that people are in isolation, they're having a better understanding of why the internet is so important to people or what people who are disabled or have challenges, mental, physical, emotional, whatever, what they have to experience and how they have to experience the world. You know, being being compromised, I, I remember my partner in the very beginning was like really frustrated at the mask. He's like, it's hot and this is bullshit. <laughs> you know, like, but he'll do it because he cares about me. But you know, it was very frustrating because he wasn't used to it yet in the early stages. And I just kind of looked, I was like, every day of my life, you know, like, and of course, you know, it's it's one of those weird things that it's weird around me that everybody is, ex I wish it was the other way around. Because I was hoping I was going to go into the non-mask population in the near future when we didn't have COVID. I'm like, maybe I won't have to wear my mask so much. And now I'm like, Oh my God, they have ma masks that match your bra. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, it's a window into the world. It feels, I feel very fortunate and thankful for it. I don't, again, don't know where I would be with a lot of the things that I've had. Because a lot of people don't have the things that I had. A lot of people didn't don't have internet connection that are sick. There's a lot of people who don't have the support that I've had with with friends and close people in my life. I mean, I've been very, very, very fortunate to be okay. I mean, I've had to be pretty solvent on my own. I don't have a lot of family, you know, but I have people that are there. Yeah. Well, speaking of COVID, are you at the risk that a high risk that the vaccine would help you or hurt you? Hurt me. Wow. I, I require herd immunity. Yep. Even with the flu, I'd, I, I would, I need herd immunity. So when people, when people say there are people out there that, well, everybody can take the vaccine. That's not true. The vaccine could put me in the hospital or kill me. And it's like, well, what do you do? Do you take the vaccine and know that that will probably harm you? Or do you take the risk of maybe getting COVID? And to me, the risk of maybe getting COVID is a lot less because we don't have a lot of exposure. You know, mm -hmm. I work from home. My partner got laid off. He's home. You know, we're able to make it. We're doing okay. You know, we're fine. But still, you know, we don't go out. We go grocery shopping twice a week because obviously a lot of my food is fresh. So I can't like go for a whole week without shopping, kind of a bummer. But that's what we do. Or we do a drive up at the art store, you know, and, to, and they know us and we just pick up our supplies for things we're doing, but that's it. So for me, it's probably less dangerous to take the vaccine. I wish I could, you know, cause I'd like to protect other people, but I see maybe one or two people a month that come up to my door. <laughs> They drop off a check, they trade me something, or we do, you know, I see a friend or whatever, and it's like, I don't even know how to interact with people. I was like, oh, it's a human. <laughs> and I guess pets are totally out of the question, too. No, they're not. Wow. Very lucky for that. I, I am not, I'm allergic to cats, but I'm not allergic to dogs. Oh. So, and so not allergic that they can even sleep in my bed. So I'm very lucky. Yeah, but I have two dogs. I have a German Shepherd mix and a uh, Papillon slash whatever. Both rescues. Mm. So, but no, I'm not allergic to dogs. I don't think I could handle that. Like if somebody said like, you need to choose your dog or you need to choose chocolate, I'd be like, I'll choose the dog. Thank you. Yep. Same well, way. It's just comforting. Like they really help me with my illness too. Animals are, are really helpful for people who uh, deal with challenges for sure yep for sure well thank you this has been such an enlightening chat i mean honestly i have taken notes and written down a lot of stuff and i'm definitely going to go check out your book so tell people where they can find you at it so you can find me pretty much everywhere because that's my world <laughs> so <laughs> You can find me at aniacon.com. So, you know, my website has tutorials. It has my art on there, ways to contact me. And then, of course, I'm on all social media platforms, including I just got on TikTok and had a viral video. So I'm pretty excited about that. So come join me over there on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I do art shares on Facebook on Fridays for other artists because I have like 321,000 people on there. So I try to do a community thing where people can share their art or what they're making, whatever that is. 
And so those are all, oh, and I'm on YouTube. That's the other one. YouTube videos, tutorials, things like that. So everywhere. You just put my name, you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> wow. <laughs> For, and I honestly want to say I admire you because you don't let your illness define your life. You know, you're living your life on your terms, even though you can only eat certain foods and you can only do certain things. You're not letting it limit you to what you can do to try and do other things. I appreciate that. And I'm going to say just <clears throat> because I've always heard that. And I think it's important to note to everybody that I do have bad days. I put on a good face and, and I can, you know, put my, my big pants on and I can get the work done, but it's okay to have bad days. I have bad days. I have hard days. I cry. Some days are rough just because the persona I put out may seem really strong. I want you to know that I'm also very vulnerable and it's okay to be vulnerable. Well, I want to thank you for being on and sharing your story. And I want to thank Steve. Give a shout yeah. out to Steve for, for actually saying, hey, she'd be really good to have on. And I'm like, absolutely. Oh. Give her my information. Oh, thank you, Steve. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you on the next chat for the Block Cabin. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Wow, guys, I don't know about you, but I am so inspired by Anya. I cannot believe, I can't even imagine what she goes through. And to still be so positive about life and just, can you imagine only being able to eat 10 things and not being able to taste chocolate and wine and you know, <laughs> meat? I love my steak, guys. I don't think I would be able to. And my cats, oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine not being able to. Um, go out to a restaurant and eat for fear that it would it would kill me i mean oh my gosh i mean her her story is so inspiring the fact that she doesn't allow it to get her down and the fact that she takes it and wants to help others and inspires others to do better and coaches other people to to do things with their gifts it's just so inspiring um, I really hope you learned a lot from Anya and that her story inspires you to go out and do good with your life. Um, I really thank you for being part of the podcast family. I would love for you to leave a rating, a review, and I hope that you go out and you do something good for someone else today. And I really hope that this inspires you to start chatting with someone else. So I hope you have a blessed day and remember, keep chatting.